let me kind of set the scene for what's happening in this computer class today. This is um, this morning is going to be Grace 101. And what we're going to try and do in this class is help get everyone where they can access all the technology that Grace is doing, as well as kind of understand some basics about computers. So uh, I'm going to cover the most common questions I get asked. I'm going to cover, um, you know, why, why is Grace moving towards more technology? Uh, and how do we help all of you stay up with us when we do that. This afternoon, I'm going to be covering a different topic, and that's going to be how to protect your home from harmful technology such as Facebook, such as YouTube, the internet, all those things are going to be this afternoon. And um, it, it's going to be started off by Brad, who's going to lead off a, uh, I, think, I think as a church we sometimes spend too much time saying no, don't do this, rather than talk about why. And then once we understand the why, we can do some things safely. And so we're gonna we're gonna go through all that this afternoon. You know, what how should you approach YouTube with your kids and what is it and how popular is it and how do you monitor their activities and all that kind of thing we're gonna cover this afternoon. So I think what I'd like to do to start with while we're waiting for Malcolm to come back is just kind of go around and kind of give me a feel for, you know, how good are you with computers? What do you tend to do with computers? And what do you want me to make sure that I cover in this class that's important to you? So we'll start with Susan to my left over here. <laughs> Thank you. And welcome. Susan. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, and Roland's going to join us this mm. afternoon. So. I'm excited. Um, yeah, when I started working with Roland in real estate, he was not at all mm -hmm. and I'd come from a you know, background of where I had lots of people working with me that did the computer stuff that I didn't need to know mm -hmm. but I used the computers a lot so I was uh, anyway I dangerously <laughs> know what can be done and don't always know how to do it so I get okay. frustrated and I got an iPad for Christmas congratulations and so now I'm like <laughs> what do I do with it you know? sure so, sure uh, We'll be and talking about also, that. Also, I've got grandchildren who know how to get on, log onto the computer, and uh, love to watch YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. and the dangers there, and so I'm trying mm -hmm. to figure out what I need to do to protect them, besides just watching every move they make. Good. So, Good. Malcolm, what is your kind of, what I was asking everyone to kind of share is what's your basic, what, what's your computer expert level, you know, what do you use computers for, that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> um, my, I actually work for computers for a living. I work for a software company called Microsoft. Uh, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I, I know, know, right? Yeah, yeah. I got some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my particular area of expertise is security. I do corporate security. Uh, I spent 10 years with American Airlines uh, helping secure the networks of American mm -hmm. Airlines before I came to Microsoft. And one of the things that I've always done, and I talked to Jonathan about this a few minutes ago, I've always been on the business, the corporate, or the enterprise side. Mm -hmm. I've never really looked at it from the home side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're talking about your extended family. My immediate family is larger than your extended family. <laughs> Very true. I have six kids. Mm -hmm. And each of them have, you know, their own laptop or their own desktop. Wow. They each have, you know, we've got an Xbox in the house. We've got probably seven or eight cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea of, set, of uh, making the technology consistent. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. All at home? All at home. Oh, it's a lot of laptops and yes. everything. Well, you know, we have probably four or five 
computers in the house, my, plus my wife brings home her Macintosh from school, plus I've got a server at the, at the house, mm. plus um, my, my son has got an Xbox, and it, this is going to be something interesting. Well, mm -hmm. Xbox does some really cool things mm -hmm. as far as Netflix, mm -hmm. as far as mm -hmm. Flickr accounts for as far as streaming movies, mm -hmm. things that I've never played with because I was always on the commercial side. Mm -hmm. And it's only been in the last couple of months, my 13-year-old is going, hey, Dad, check this out. The fun yeah. side. Avatars. <laughs> yes, avatars, exactly. Mm -hmm. Screen names. And, yeah. and, you know, talking to Jonathan earlier, I am an absolute anathema to Facebook. Don't do Facebook. Not at all. And because, because of, of the security reasons? Not because of the security reasons so much as I, I have obvious knowledge that there are security issues out there, but when you spend 50, 60 hours a week yeah. on a computer already, the yeah. last thing I want to do is exchange <laughs> email with a, an aunt's cousin's nephew right. third removed. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But I'm here to oppose this. Thanks, Malcolm. Manny? I use computer every day. Nothing sophisticated. Mm -hmm. No Facebook. None of that stuff. None of that silly None stuff. That stuff. <laughs> what do you use it for? Uh, stock market. Okay. I'm involved in that respect. Do you do email? Every day. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's common. Okay. Yeah. Common stuff. Yeah. But unfortunately, I probably get anywhere from 10 to 25 emails a day. Mm -hmm. I don't even know who most of them come oh, from. It's so <laughs> frustrating and irritating. I had filters from um, providers. and Well, maybe that's what I need. Maybe yeah. that's why I'm here. Well, I'll, I'll make sure to cover email spam. I didn't have that on my list, but I'll make sure to cover that. Yeah, How? Uh, my name is Hal. I'm a cosmetologist. Okay. Yeah. I um, use computer, check, uh, check my email, mm -hmm. uh, apply for a job. Cool. And uh, I, now I really want to learn more about computer, about the Facebook, mm -hmm. about the uh, eBay. Yeah. And how to control because uh, uh, when I apply for a job, they ask me about my social security number. Yeah. And I'm so worried. If I uh, I afraid somebody stole my ID, you mm -hmm. know, and um, I heard about they had uh, some uh, um, uh, bad people mm -hmm. they tried to stolen information. Yeah, uh, it's real. That's why I really want to join to the eBay, you know, mm -hmm. but I scared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? That's a good so, thing. Yeah. That's why I need to learn more about the security. Sure. Yeah. And especially um, about the uh, Facebook, mm -hmm. I um, I know nothing about that. But when I find out my daughter she joined to the Facebook, uh -huh. I try to learn by myself and I delete it. But now uh, I, I I don't know she still come back or not. Right. Maybe. Right. <laughs> but I cannot tell her I know nothing about the Facebook. Good. Yeah. That's yeah. good for you. Yeah. Way to go. That's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah. Sh huh? I um, I wish uh, the 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 just have uh, computer class. I will join any class. I need to learn more. <laughs> well, we're we're doing our best here. So, Mickey. 
I use uh, the computer professionally. Mm -hmm. It's basic, um, not sophisticated. We always have a, a geek squad there to, uh -huh. to troubleshoot, yes. you know? So it's like, but I would love to know more yeah. in general because it's fascinating. Amen. I've never really needed the computer professionally and um, just a hobbyist and uh, mm -hmm. don't like email, don't like Facebook. Just like search engines. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we are going to get started. I think before we get too much into like what Grace is doing with technology, we have to start with just so we're understanding all the words we use. So I'm going to kick off with just what is a computer anyway. So we're going to watch a little quick video um, that I borrowed off YouTube here that I, I thought gave us just a real good quick start of what is a computer, and then we'll go from there. Turn this out. Away from the window. There we go. Come on, I know, right? It's so slow. I didn't embed in my PowerPoint. Person who's always wondered what's inside a computer, then this is the video for you. What we're going to do here is open up a machine and look at the seven major components that you find inside. The motherboard is the heart of the computer. Every part either sits on the motherboard or connects to it in some way. And this machine, this big red rectangle is the motherboard. The CPU is the central processing unit. It's the brain of the computer. It runs the software and processes the data that you're working on. In this machine, like most, the CPU sits under a big heat sink and fan, as you see here. The people who design CPU chips often leave behind pictures or sayings on the surface of the chip. They're incredibly tiny. You have to use a microscope to see them. But like the Easter eggs in a video game, they're there to amuse and surprise other people. <laughs> The RAM is the random access memory, and it sits right on the motherboard. It holds the data in the software that you're currently running. On most motherboards, you'll find one, two, or four banks of RAM. Adding RAM to your machine is a really simple way to speed it up. This is what a stick of memory looks like. To add it to your machine, just find an open slot on your motherboard and slide it right in. This is the video card. It connects to the motherboard with a special video card slot. The video card creates the images that appear on your monitor. Most motherboards accept either an AGP or a PCI Express video card. Serious gamers will upgrade their video cards every three to six months to get the best performance. The latest thing is to have two or even four video cards in a single machine. The power supply usually sits at the top of the case, and surprisingly, it supplies the power that the computer needs. All these different wires that you see in the case are coming from the power supply. A high-end machine can burn up to 800 watts. If you left that machine on 24 hours a day for a year, it might cost $700 just to run it. That's as much as some people spend on a whole machine. This is the hard disk. It holds your information even when the power's off. When you turn the power on, 
your software and data loads from the hard disk into the RAM. If you've got an old machine that you're ready to donate or recycle, it contains a lot of personal information. Deleting the files is not enough because someone with the right software can undelete those files. If you want to truly erase your data, you've got to destroy the drive. <laughs> this is the optical drive. It sits in the front bay of your computer and it uses a laser to read or write CDs and DVDs. CDs and DVDs can take an incredible amount of abuse. The one thing they can handle is deep scratches. To protect your data, always keep them in a sleeve or a case. So there you have it. Those are the seven major components that you'll find in any normal PC. So if you guys have never heard of HowStuffWorks.com before, it is a sweet website. I've learned how air conditioners work, I've learned how cars work, all those things that you may be thinking about. Um, I want to give you a little bit of my background while I grab this computer over here. So I started out as a computer science engineering major, graduate of UT Arlington. And um, after I left college, I went to work for a disaster recovery company. And the disaster recovery company, what they did is they repaired hard drives, they repaired broken servers, broken computers, getting the data back for people who had not saved it ad adequately. And then after I left that company, I went to work for a couple different consulting companies that did computer forensics. So I did um, people who tried to delete emails, tried to steal intellectual property, and did all sorts of investigations of computers. Then I would go testify in court about them or work with attorneys in those lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So um, when I heard Gary describe me as a geek last Sunday, so that is, that is accurate to a point, is, is I am a real, a real nerd at heart. I asked for a computer magazine subscription for Christmas. I um, have all sorts of drawers. Not online, right? Not online, no, a paper one. But you know, I, I asked for all sorts of uh, different, you know, um, I have all sorts of boxes of wires in my office that my wife walks in and asks me, so do we need these? And I'm like, we might someday. You know, we can't get rid of them. You never know when you'll need them. They're yeah, but, that's but the whole point. That's right. You know, you got to keep track of that. So anyways, that's my background in all this. And so when I came to work for the church, one of the things that I um, do here is I'm over the website here now. Um, I, I'm over kind of helping with all the computer support here. Um, and then I'm over the videos that we do on Sunday morning, all the video editing and, and a lot of the technology that happens here, I have a, I have a hand in. So um, I want to jump over to, uh, we talked about computer hardware and I just want to let you guys get a visual here. Inside a computer, this one's kind of dirty, this is the one I grabbed off one of our offices up, up in the front. You've got this green thing in the back here that all the thing plugs into. Does everyone remember what that thing is? That's the motherboard. Um, and if your mother, your motherboard and your processor, for the most part, go together, and so you'll see your processor is kind of hidden behind this black cooling fan. If we wanted to dig it out, we could get in there. But it is the brains of the computer. It does all the hard lifting of the computer. And then up here, you've got this kind of electrical thing that says, "Be careful, don't stick metal things in it. You'll shock yourself." You guys remember what that is? That's your power supply. That plugs into the wall. And that's going to make everything spin up and go. Down here, you've got these cables. Uh, this happens to be what's called SATA uh, cables down here. It's what you'll find in almost every computer now is SATA. And it's got this rectangle metal thing down here. Do you guys know what that is? That's a hard drive. 
all your information, once you unplug it, is there. This is the only place it exists. It doesn't exist on the motherboard, it doesn't exist in the processor. The only place it sits once you unplug the computer is there. There are two kinds of hard drives. One is a hard drive that is going to crash and break, and another that's already broken. So we'll, we'll cover that later, but this having your data in only one place is not a good plan long term. So that's just to keep in mind. Then we have on the front of the computer another little rectangle box that slides out. This is your optical drive. And there are CDs and DVDs, and uh, I'm sure everyone's used those before. But that's where you read in information and read out information is through the optical drive. We used to, a long time ago, if you guys remember, had floppy disk drives that have gone the way of the dinosaur, but I have some fond memories of floppy disks back in the day. Five and a quarter, three and a half, all that stuff. So that's all the hardware. Now, once you can't tell just by looking on the outside what is actually inside the hard drive that is the software that makes the computer do stuff. So the hardware does all the lifting. The software is the set of instructions that tell the computer what you actually want it to do. Like when I turn it on, I want you to do something for me. Um, so that's what computer software is. It's operating systems. And what kind of operating systems are people running? Examples would be Windows 98, Windows XP, Windows 7, Windows Vista. Macintosh has various operating systems. Linux has various operating systems. So let's go around and talk about what people are running at home if you have a computer. Vista and I think it's XP on my laptop. Vista and XP. This is iOS. Yes, very good. That, well, I'm just now having to learn. Yes, the iPad and the iPhone and any of those kind of products all use the same operating system called iOS. So very good. So you're writing XP and Vista, mm -hmm. and Malcolm's got a billion different things. He's got. Do you have home? One of everything. Manny, what are you running at home? XP. Do you know what you're running? Have you, have you, like when you turn it on, it flashes up a logo. Do you notice what that logo is? You don't have to know. I'm just curious. Hal doesn't know. Do you guys know, Barry, what you're running? Yeah, uh, one machine has um, Vista and one Windows 7. Okay. So you have a Windows 7 going. Um, you know, Windows 7 was a, really a pretty great product. I left the Windows world right as Windows 7 came out and I used it at work some, and it, it, it's pretty great. It's, if you guys haven't had a chance to look at that, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by it. Oh, my goodness. Hands down better than Vista. Security-wise? Oh, just, just everything. Security, the Windows 7 and Vista are both better than XP, because XP is a 10-year-old product. Yeah. Literally, XP is 10 years old. Uh, Vista had a lot of benefits, but Vista had a lot of rough edges. Windows 7 is essentially... What should have been Windows Vista? Yeah. Vista with all the smooth, with all the edges smooth. Okay. Can you explain the difference between 32-bit and 64-bit? We can, but I'll defer to. You don't need to know. <laughs> For what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Probably the newer machines are coming out of the 64. Well, 32-bit and 64-bit, you can do a 64-bit machine can do both. Mm -hmm. okay? Really, the big difference would be Jerry's house, the stadium here in the middle of town. Would you want to build a stadium that size where you've got all that many people coming together and you only had two-lane roads to get to it? Probably not. The difference essentially between the x86 and x64 or 32 and 64-bit is do I have a four-lane road coming in or do I have an eight-lane road coming in? Right. And, and how fast can I get the data in? And RAM to motherboard. Yes. RAM to processor. Yeah. The motherboard is really not, not... The motherboard is nothing but a piece of real estate. The important part is... How fast 
do all the different pieces talk to each other. And that 64 bit doesn't talk to 64 is faster. The SIM software doesn't run 64, and then it just flips back to 32 mode. So it can handle both. Is the 128 in the process? Or There's the a lot of parallel stuff, but we're not seeing any 128 just yet. They're not even using 64 to its mm. full potential yet. They're getting there. But software, you know, once you, you have to start with an operating system. So if somebody gives you a computer and has nothing on it, you have to go get an operating system because it's what, when you turn it on, it's what gives you things you can click. It's what gives you icons. It gives you your start button, all that. You have to go get that. So that's why it gets a little expensive if you're grabbing a computer that doesn't have an operating system on it is you have to go buy that. And it could cost $150, $200 to buy an operating system. Then that's just a piece of software. You can't touch it. It just is loaded inside the computer that gives it instructions of what to do. Then, then once you have it up and running, you usually want to do something. Like you want to write a letter or you want to go, go you know, create a, a budget for your house. And that you used to have to use another program called productivity software. And the most common is if you're going to go write a letter, what do most of you guys use? Word. Everyone use Word here? Okay. Microsoft owns the world with productivity software. Um, and, and it is very hard to. It's, it's really pretty great. I mean, everyone knows Word. I like Word. Um, I use it on my Mac. I have a Mac, but I run Microsoft Office for Mac. And I, I'm used to Excel and Word, and all those things are great programs. And they're, they're very useful for saving you time. You know, if you're still using a calculator on your desk, I'm telling you, Excel is worth your time. We won't be able to cover it this morning, but Excel is worth your time to go learn how to use that program. It's my favorite program on a computer. And then there's utilities and games and all sorts of things. So you can make your computer do anything you want if you have the right instructions, and that's called software. So I'm going to go to the number one question I'm asked about computers, which is, how do I make my computer faster? So we're going to jump back to what Malcolm was saying, and we're going to use a, a pipe um, concept here. So your computer is all about getting things from the time I click go to where it splashes up on the screen or exports. So we'll put the screen over here, and then um, this is the input over here. So this is where we turn on the faucet and say, go do something for me. So let's say it starts with you want to load something from the hard drive. Okay, so this is the hard drive. And we have to flow instructions because the computer's got to go grab something from the hard drive and load it into RAM. So the hard drive comes, and let's say you have really fast RAM. So let's say you have a big pipe for RAM up here. This is your RAM pipe. So once you get there, it's a really big pipe. But let's say you have a really slow processor because someone's cousin gave it to you and they weren't using it. And so this is your processor. Do, 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 do. This is from that list of seven components from the movie we just saw. And then once you do the processor, so let's say that it does have to render it on the, with a video card to do something with it. Let's say your video card is this big. And finally, at the end of all that, you know, we've got a hard drive RAM processor. The power supply really doesn't affect the speed of your computer. We're going to put this down here. It, it doesn't matter. For the most part, your optical drive doesn't matter. I mean, for, mo for most people, it may matter how fast it takes to burn something. But for most people, it's hard drive, RAM processor, video card, and, and a little bit of motherboard in here. You know, you may have uh, what's called a bus on your motherboard that will limit speed.
So I put the five components that may limit speed on here. And the tiniest pipe in my example is the processor, because I'm assuming I have a really slow processor. Um, and so if someone came to me with this computer and said, okay, how do I make my computer faster? What's the limiting component of this pipeline that we've drawn up here? CPU. The CPU, the, the processor is. Right. So whatever is your slowest thing, whatever is your smallest pipe, that is going to be what limits the speed of your computer. When they say dual core, what do they mean? Um, I can explain a lot of that to you. It really won't matter to you. So well, it, I, what I'll do today in this class is um, you can ask me, do I need to know? Okay. And I'll, I'll answer you. But for the most part, it, it doesn't matter to us. It's, it's a so thing. It yeah, yeah. The more cores in general, the faster. But it's all a complicated answer because you have to have a piece of software that you use that uses those cores. And so if you have a piece of software that doesn't know to use all cores, it doesn't help you. But in some times it does. It never hurts. Whatever's the latest buzzword never hurts. It's usually worth something. Whether it'll speed up your computer a ton, that's always the question. People are like, how can I invest a little bit of money to make it a lot faster? And it's very hard to answer that question. Um, so what I, in general, have found that I'd like to recommend to you guys is if you, the, the two things that I tend to see the do speed computers a lot, if you have a lot of things open or running and your computer's real slow in opening programs, I would look and see if you need more RAM. And it's usually pretty easy to tell if you bought a computer from like a, a Dell or someone to go online and see if it has more RAM slots. That will usually speed it up a little bit. And then if you have a really old hard drive, so much is coming in and out of that hard drive. If you have a really old hard drive, and the thing to look for would be something like 5,400 RPM is kind of slow, especially if it's like three to four years old. Um, that would be the other thing you could upgrade. I wouldn't try to, to upgrade any of this, really, unless you really are good and want to read up on it and research. So you can upgrade hard drive pretty easily, upgrade RAM pretty easily. Processor, video card, and motherboard are really pretty, it's hard to know once you start getting into those components if you're going to get the speed you thought you were. And so instead, what I've started recommending to people is just start budgeting about every three, maybe four years if you're stretched, about every three years, budget to get a new computer. And it doesn't have to be the best computer available. Just go out and get a mainstream, average computer, and that computer will come with the hard drive, the RAM, processor, video card, motherboard, that all work today. Because if you buy memory today, it won't work with a motherboard three years ago. Or if you buy a processor today, it may not work with a motherboard. And then it gets all confusing. So it's just easier to, every three or four years, go get a, a low-end or a medium-range computer, use it for three or four years, and then give it to a two-year-old, and then go <laughs> grab another one. You know, Go give it to the, the child downstream of that technology and, and go on. So, yeah. What price range with those basic units? Well, this is where I'm going to I'm going to have a little bit of a bias, the a range, bias. The range. Yeah, the range. Oh, uh, if people ask me what well, when he's done, I'll answer the question. Yeah, 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 no, no. It, it, yeah. I would say you should be able to get a desktop, you know, like an outlet desktop. I would say around 400 bucks. Okay. I mean, four to five hundred for a desktop. You've already got the monitor. You got the keyboard. No, 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 no. no. 
No, no, no. And, and if you and, and and if you go Mac, the Mac Mini is is what you're looking at for for that, and it's roughly about six hundred. And actually, that's not a bad option. My wife that's has pretty one of those. Good. Just got it. Yeah, Mac, Mac Minis are wonderful for home machines. They're about the size of a CD-ROM drive. Ask him how much that laptop is there costing. This is a twelve hundred dollar laptop. Now, the you know operating systems or interface now for like the Lion or whatever the latest Macintosh. What was your question? You can use Mac and Windows and. So Mac, what they decided was, yeah, what happened is uh, Mac for a long time used a CPU that didn't work with Windows and, and some fancy PowerPC processor. And then they decided, you know what, Intel's really pretty great. Let's see if we can get an Intel processor into our machine. And so they went and got with Intel and they got an Intel processor in. So if you look at the sticker on the front of this Windows machine, it says Intel processor inside. Mm. That's the same brand as Mac has inside theirs. And so now both companies, in fact, almost every major company in the world uses the same processor, Intel. It's the leader. And so since they have the same processor, and my old company did this a lot, we would buy Macs and load Windows 7 on them. Yep. And Mac comes pre-installed with something called Boot Camp. Now you have to buy the Windows 7 license, but you can have a button where you boot into Windows 7 and then you boot into Mac just by hitting the right button when you turn on your computer. And you can decide which you want to be in. A lot of the guys work in my office and obviously I work for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. um, Mac makes really good hardware. It's sweet. And it's, it's wonderful. It's not uncommon. There are a number of senior guys in my company who have just exactly that. Mm -hmm. Mac hardware, yep. but they've loaded Windows 7 on it. And the two of those, that's that's a very nice setup. Very nice setup. Does that need to be replaced every three or four years? Also? You probably well. You have to understand if you're going to that level where you've got a Mac hardware and a, a Windows on top of it, you're probably a little bit of a, a prestige geek anyway. <laughs> and you're not going to want to go don't over need there. It. Yeah. Don't need it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know about when that occurred, that merger of using the. Um, Someone will Google this later, but it's probably three years ago. Three years ago. It's been a while. It was right after I switched is when they'd start doing that as I switched. So if you look at a Mac machine, you can see if it has an Intel CPU and then yeah. the way that it might be. If it's any time, yeah, if, any, if it's been made in the last four years, three, four years, it'll have an Intel chip. Oh, yeah, you can't buy anything but that. Yeah, that's all they sell. And that is one of the reasons why the Mac machines are more is they don't have a budget line. So they don't have a low-end get me in cheap line. They just don't sell that and other manufacturers do. So they force you to have some things that they feel you need that you may or may not. Um, but uh, anyways, enough preaching on Mac. I do want to talk about software though because there is some things with software you can do for free that speed up almost every computer I've run into. Because most times when I, when I get asked this question, how do I speed up my computer? and I go look at the computer, they've got like 37 icons on the bottom right next to their clock. Yeah. And each one of those icons is a program that's running. And, he, and just like, computers are a little bit like men and they don't multitask real well. They multitask some, but not real well. And each thing you ask a man to do, other than the main thing you ask him to do, he's gonna get more and more distracted from the main thing. So if you're asking your computer to run 37 programs at the same time you're asking it to do this real important photo project you're working on, it's gonna slow down. So I put up here a link to my favorite 
XP utility. It's called Startup CPL. And it's just this little tiny program. You double click it and it lets you go through and checkbox any program that's, that's set to auto run. And what that means is when you start your computer, it automatically runs it. And in general, I would say you need very few things checked. Startup CPL. You can just Google it. And, um, or you can go to that link and paste it into uh, any browser and download that. And, and I just loved it. And you don't really have to be too afraid of it. If it breaks something, you just go right back in and you checkbox it again. But I, it's almost, with all these auto run programs, you really can't break very much. And you're going back into startup to checkbox it? Where are you going? So what you do is when you download this program, you're going to download, I'm, I'm recommending the standalone version. They have a control panel version. You just download it to your desktop and you double click it. And it's going to pop up a window. And it's going to say you have 37 things that you have told the computer to launch when you turn on your computer. And that's why it takes a long time before it really seems like it's up and running. You're going to say something else? Yeah. yeah. But understand, all of these 37 things, you didn't put them all there on purpose. Right. When you install an HP printer. Yes. HP dumps something down there that monitors your web to help your print web pages better. HP will dump one down there that monitors the ink level in your, in your printer. Right. Say, hey, you're low on colored ink. <laughs> Call us at HP and we'll send you yeah. cartridges. Right. All of these little bitty things, another one that's real common, at least used to be, was a little yellow running man. Yes. And you, there's this little yellow running man. You have no idea. It was AOL. Yep, AOL Instant Messenger. And it was AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, to this day, Microsoft has an Instant Messenger client. He'll cover Instant Messaging in a minute. Mm -hmm. But Microsoft has an Instant Messenger client that loads on every copy of Windows. Mm -hmm. You don't need it. Mm -hmm. All of these are a million little things that were put down there by different programs you loaded. Yep. And when you go into, I use MS Config. Same idea. Same idea. When you go in, you can turn these things off. You, you got that big pipe of RAM that he drew on the board, but that big pipe doesn't do you any good if you've made parking places out of the top third and bottom third. Mm -hmm. You don't have this much in the middle. You know, so one of the things by turning off those little buttons is you make your RAM more available. Oh, my. That, that is, that is good to know. So you should check that out. It's like Question you have no control you over your computer. Uh -huh. Everybody dumps on you. Everybody right? dumps on you. I'm so telling you. How often do you need to do that? Uh, I do it about every couple months or when I notice, uh, yeah. If, okay, I've always heard that the more you have on your desktop, if you've got your icons loaded up on your desktop, that that's slowing it down. Is that true or is it just the ones down by the clock? Just the ones by the clock. Just the ones that are running. Yeah. And just because you have a shortcut or a file or whatever, mm -hmm. now, if you've got 12 Microsoft Words running, that will slow you down. But stuff on your desktop. <laughs> yes, how? Uh -huh. You know, because I know nothing about computer. I'm so uh, careful uh, in my email. Mm -hmm. I um, Yahoo.com. Yep. Sometimes they ask me update my uh, email. Yes. Is that okay? Is that uh, still real? I, so I here's the uh, yeah. Here's the basic thing. Um, no one is going to ask via email. That's legitimate. Mm -hmm to give them your social security number, your driver's license number, your password to anything, um, your credit card, anything like that. So if somebody emails you something, even if it has the official logo, and even if it looks real, if it's by email, 
No legitimate company is going to use that method of talking to you to get that from you. I, I understand about okay. that. The question I want to ask, the Yahoo sent to me mm -hmm. and asked me how to update my email. What, is, what does that mean, update your email? Because they sent you an email. Do you know? The client. Yahoo has about three different generations. Oh, uh, okay. Clients. Yes. And every six months they say, we want you to use our newest client. Oh, yeah. yeah. All these new features. Oh, that's fine. And I wasn't so sure that's if that was yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, how? I was once you're logged in, once you're logged into the website, they oftentimes will say, hey, do you want to upgrade to the new thing? And I always click yes, because okay. I figure it's for my good. And, but that's when you're yeah. in it. What if you that's can, once you're in it. Yeah. If, if you're not I'm in it, I just delete it. A lot of emails that say click here, yeah. and I've always been told not to click those. Yeah, just delete those. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. The URL, you have capitalized S? And yes. Does it have to be no, not case sensitive. Okay. The web is nice that way, thankfully. <laughs> um, and then since you have Windows 7, I, I haven't played with that as much, but that's the best one I saw on Windows 7, so you can take a look at that. Now I remember yeah. my computer Windows 7. Yeah, okay, good. So you yeah. can you can so, play with that. And so I would... I go home, I just will have to... Um, just, uh, yeah. And Okay, yeah, you can go to that website and it'll give you instructions on how it works and you can download it. And you want to use the startup CPL. For, even though even though Windows 7 has got auto runs, auto runs is kind of a techno techno geeky tool and you try can, the other one. Yeah, try the other one first. Try the XP one first. It's, it's simpler. Checkbox. Checkbox. And it's got multiple tabs. It's, it's simple as it gets. From a hobbyist perspective, yeah. that website he's got right there, mm -hmm. the Sys Internals website, mm -hmm. lots of cool tools oh. from a hobbyist perspective. From a general user, you guys aren't going to be interested in that, but to play with, neat stuff. I use that every day, actually. So the, the number one question I wish I was asked, which is not how I make my computer faster, it's how should I back up my important stuff? Um, and we talked about how hard drives are going to crash. In general, my experience is hard drives crash about every three years. Yeah. So if you think about it, I have a four-year-old computer. That means I'm on borrowed time. Okay. And once you have a hard drive that's crashed, the cost to get it recovered by a local recovery company is between one and two thousand dollars usually, and they may not get it back at all. And so it's just way better and cheaper. To, to do your backups yourself before a bad thing happens. So that, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but the rule of thumb is that in this computer, there's one hard drive inside of it, and so all the data, all my pictures, all my Word documents, all my spreadsheets, all my stuff I care about is sitting on that hard drive. I need to have it in two places. So wherever the second place is, is fine, if you happen to stick it in the same place, like sit it on top of the computer, then if there is a fire, of course, it'll burn both copies. So it's always better to have it in another location. But the most common problem is going to be a hard drive breaking, not a fire. So the whole point of this is always think, if I have something I don't want to lose, I need to have it in two places. So in the, let's see, who's got a, you've got a Mac Mini. Time Machine is wonderful since you're the only Mac one. In the Windows world, there's great options for backup. Um, first of all, let's talk about what are the kinds of things we would want to backup. What are things that you would care about not losing? Financial files. Financial files, like Quicken, or what? Do you, how do you have financial files? 
Uh, is Excel? Excel spreadsheet. Excel. Okay. What else do we want to not lose? Pictures. What else do you not want to lose? Official documents. Okay, like scan documents or yeah, yeah, scan documents like passports or etc. Yeah. What else do we not want to lose? General, my documents. My documents. So my documents. Spreadsheets. Email. Email. Anything that's in that folder. So if you go onto your computer, if it's a Windows 7, it's got a folder called Users. If it is a XP or something else, it has a folder called Documents and Settings. Underneath those folders, you're going to see the name of the user. So let's say Barry and Mickey share a computer because they're kind and they take turns and they share a computer. Um, each of them will have their own folders with their own pictures, their own documents, and all that will be set up under their own folder. Um, however you keep your documents, it's better to keep it all in one place so you know where it is. So the, the tricky thing is email. We'll get to that in a sec. But if you have pictures and you have financial documents, and you have, just keep them all in one place where you know this is my, this is my important folder. And then inside that folder, organize however it makes sense to you so you know where it is. And then email, you can, um, you can go find. Outlook keeps it in a weird place, but you can search your computer for what's called PST files. And that contains all your Outlook email. What kind of email do people use? Let's, let's see if anyone's using Outlook these days. Like what email do you use? How do you get to your email? Yahoo. Okay, so you're a web email. Yahoo. Yahoo. Hotmail. Hotmail. Everyone web based. That's awesome. Yeah, AT T Yahoo. Okay, so if it's on a website, it actually doesn't even sit on your computer. So that means it's someone else's job to keep that for you, which is great. That's the way it is up at the church now. We used to, before I came on church, we had it all sitting on hard drives upstairs. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't want to have to be in charge of that. Yeah. So I moved all that offline. <laughs> I wish. No. We use the free Google apps for business <laughs> because we're nonprofits and we're cheap. Um, but Google's great. Uh, so we moved all our accounts offline so someone else is doing the backups for us. So I don't have to worry about keeping our email. Email's backed up for you not to worry about that. So, they are gone. If you delete it, they're gone. Yeah. But what we're worried about is if your hard drive crashes, your computer breaks, what have you lost? <coughs> and if you go buy another computer, you can go to Yahoo's email site and your emails are all there. Right. So it's not based on what's on your computer. So what's important is to look at what's inside that box. So it's inside that laptop and say, well, what would I lose here? Um, some guys upstairs were telling me for a class they were preparing for today, they lost a week's worth of work because they didn't back up. And so that's the kind of thing that people lose stuff all the time. And usually it's a really bad loss of, I've lost all my baby pictures from these three children and I didn't back it up. And it's usually until something like that happens, you don't take it seriously. So um, how do you guys back up today? Do you guys do anything like that or how does it work? External hard drive, perfect. Yeah, and it, it's not working anymore. So it's not working, okay. Okay, now what? <laughs> no, that's quality. Cool. So I'm sitting there and I can't, you know, uh -huh. but 
is the external hard drive is broken or the I software to get it on? Don't know enough to know. Yeah, enough yeah, to know. Yeah. Okay. So I'm backing it up. So when you I don't know how to retrieve it, I guess. Okay. So when you buy an external hard drive, or if you have one, it'll have a manufacturer's name on it. It'll have like Mac Store or Western Digital or something like that. And okay. each each of those companies, if you go to maxstore.com, will have software you can download. And it came with the disk, but if you've lost the disk, you can go download it again. And they have software for backing up your computer. You can also, if you're on Windows 7 or something like that, there's a backup with your computer called Windows 7 Backup. So, you know, this is where I, I fall in love with the Mac in that the Mac has it where you simply plug in the drive and it all just kind of works. Um, Windows, I haven't found a perfect solution to replicate that. So um, all I can say is if you're on a Mac anywhere, use Time Machine. It's wonderful. You plug in a drive, it works. On a Windows side, you kind of have to do it whenever you think about it. It doesn't happen automatically. And um, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a second because I have cloud backup up there. But the whole thought is if you have everything in one folder and you have an extra hard drive, just drag and drop that folder. Every once in a while I think, you know, I'm, I'm backed up in a couple months. I'm going to go click that financials folder and drag it to my computer external hard drive. And now I've got it in two places. And I'm good. So that's, if you have it organized well, you don't need fancy software to keep track of all the places you put stuff. Do I need to be concerned about the fact that I have over 12,000 emails? Uh, if it's all in Yahoo, it's Yahoo, that's their responsibility. That, they have that. It's they will. In my computer. They will tell you if they get worried about it. They'll tell you we're going to start charging you because you have so much. Then I'll tell them to delete them all. There you go. And so that's all it is. Is if if it's out there, that's their responsibility. If I knew how to delete them, I'd just delete them. <laughs> but I don't want to go one at a time. Yeah, it yeah. Take forever. I, there's no reason. Just leave it out there. Just leave them. This space is cheap. Yeah. Okay, they have it. They got it. They got it. If it's out there on the web, they got it. So Malcolm mentioned this whole cloud backup thing. So when you have email that's just kind of out there somewhere, you don't really, it's Yahoo's thing. You know, it's this cloud thing. That's when we hear the term cloud computing. That's, that's one of the ways it's used as, this whole cloud storage is that someone else has it. When someone sends an email to Jonathan at GraceJonathan.com, it goes into Google's big cloud thing, and it's actually probably sitting in one of their servers somewhere around the world, but I don't know where it is. It's this ethereal thing, this storage bank somewhere. So that is another place. Dropbox gives you a free two gigabytes of storage. Box.net gives you free storage. And what you can do is you can drag and drop files using these online backup solutions periodically. You can just say, you know what, I don't have that much to keep track of. We use Dropbox all the time. And so let me tell you, let me show you what Dropbox is real fast. So I got it on my computer here. I mean, aren't you scared to have someone else store yeah, your personal stuff? You know, it's like scary. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's even doubly scary when you're using Google. But yeah. um, <laughs> we, if, you, if you actually read what's called User. the EULA, the End mm -hmm. Licensing Agreement, it would scare you anyway. <laughs> privacy today in today's it's world. Non-existent. It's really, it's really a thought more than a fact. Mm -hmm. So you know, um, your Yahoo email, AT and T Yahoo, mm -hmm. all of that's out there in the cloud. It's it's on their servers, and just be wary of what you put in an email. Never social security number. Mm -hmm. Somebody wants your social security number, say thank you, no thank you. 
you can either call me, we'll yeah. talk about it on the phone. Or I can drop by the office. Or or, about, you know, but mm -hmm. If somebody wants your social security number. On the internet. On the internet now. There are exceptions, and Jonathan will go into mm -hmm. HTTPS. Because, mm -hmm. like, for example, I use Bank One, okay? And when I go to Bank One, that's a cloud function, essentially, because I'm going to Bank One's servers to look at my check, my checking account. Pay account, bills. Pay bills, et cetera. Whenever I go there, that little lock is closed on my browser. Mm -hmm. Or if you look up at the, the, the big string that tells me where to go, that big string starts with HTTPS for security. If you're dealing with somebody whom you trust, your brokerage, my bank, um, maybe a supplier that you buy cosmetology products. From, Amazon. They, yeah, if you're if you're dealing with someone you trust and you went to their website and you, you see the HTTPS, that then you're okay. Okay, but do understand that privacy is really more of a, an idea than a fact, and just be very wary. Know that anything that you put in an email, anything that you put in a Word document and email to somebody else, it exists out there in the world somewhere. Mm -hmm. Even if you delete it. Even if you delete it. Because Google, use the church for example. They keep Google everything. Mail, Google backs up all their servers just like they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And even if you delete it, they still have backups that still have it on it. And I've been in a number of situations where lawyers have been in a situation where they've done what's called e-discovery. And the lawyers have said, here's a court order. We want your backup tapes because we want to know what was there before you deleted it. Yep. Can I ask the admissibility well, I mean, of such evidence? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. There's no thing to protect the user None. because you use the end user yep. agreement. You click the end user licensing I agreement agree. and say, I, I agree. That's exactly. it. So why use Google? Google is such a spy Everybody's machine. using it. No. They're Everybody other, is they're well open. And, and Google and, and Google's interesting because yeah. they will actually index the words in your email and use that to build a profile on you and, and advertise to you. That's one of the ways Google makes bazillions of dollars. Yeah. I, uh, I'm... I'm going to be one of the first arrested by the Obama administration. So I kind of take, so this is, this is how I, this is how I view it, is technology is neutral. It, it can be used for good things or bad things. Eventually, we all know that there will come a time where the government is going to start to persecute Christians and they will use technology to help that. Oh, yeah, that's right. But in the meantime, I really like technology. I'm not, I'm not going to an Amish community where I'm using a horse and buggy, and I'm just not doing that. So in the meantime, I use the technologies out there for, that helps me, and I just know at some point this could harm. And that's how, that's how I take And, you know, I, my parents, it was really funny, you know, they have for years been petrified about credit card theft. And I went online and was trying to find, okay, so where does credit card theft really happen? And if you look, almost all the credit card theft, or a great majority of it, happens with waiters at restaurants and gas stations. It doesn't happen with online purchases. It doesn't happen with people stealing it off your computer. It ha so realize that a lot of the things we do, no one, no, very few of us are like, I'm only using cash at gas stations. Because credit card theft, very few of us are doing that. So I would, I would kind of just pitch that technology is, is, for the most part, really useful. No one really cares what you have. But what Malcolm said is really good in that if you're writing something that you don't want a bunch of people reading over your shoulder, pick up a phone, 
do it in another way because emails come, especially corporate emails or company emails or any of that stuff. I mean, I have had cases I've been involved with where people said such incriminating stuff via email. And you're and you're thinking to yourself, man, did they just they yeah, they just weren't thinking. So just and that's true kinda you know, I when I early in my marriage, I would send stuff to my wife that I always thought was helpful, but it turned out that it came off real judgmental via email. And so I realized, you know, you know, voice inflection. So realize text anyway is hard to communicate certain things. So use text for what you can use it for, but use phone and voice and all the rest when you can, because you can you can not miscommunicate. Can I digress a little bit? Sure. How does the credit card theft occur at a gas station? I know you hand over your card to the waiter. Oh, it's easy. So uh, I'll give you an example. Um, they sell online. Uh, I've, I'm holding an iPhone here. A little attachment I can attach to the bottom here. And then if I wanted to pull my iPhone out as a waiter and swipe your card on the way to swipe it for real, I would have captured all your information. But in the gas station, you do it at the pump. At the pump. If you go inside, oh, then, okay. then they have access to it. There was a, there was a, a deal about a year and a half ago that I thought was rather interesting, Redbox. Mm-hmm. Redbox had their deal. I don't know how many of you guys read movies from Redbox, but they're a buck a day and my wife is cheap. Yep. Redbox, you saw it. There's a, a groove and you slide your card. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody figured out that they could make a or buy a reader that looked the same. Yes. And they used double-sided tape and stuck it right below the one that was already on the machine. Mm-hmm. So when you swept your card, if you weren't paying attention... It went all the way through both readers. It went all the way through both, and you didn't know any better. And now, matter of fact, if you look at a red box now, outside of Walmart or whatever, there's a little metal bar uh-huh. at the ending yes. of the slide so that they, somebody can't put an extra one. But in that case, they just put it there. And double-sided tape, stuck it there, and then come back 48 hours later, literally just rip it off the machine. couple hundred credit cards that are valid. Well, and I was in the credit business Mm -hmm. for 35 years, Mm -hmm. and I was fraud. Mm-hmm. My ID and Roland's ID was stolen multiple times. Oh, multiple so, times. Yeah, so if that happens to you, yep. first of all, your credit cards are protected as far as what you lose. But they can run with your identity on mm-hmm. the world. And we had to actually block our credit file. And you can do that in Texas. It's called a freeze. And that's the only thing that stopped the fraud on our case because they just kept using that. Mm-hmm. They that got Roland's social security you number. You were vulnerable? How did you become vulnerable? I believe it happened. We were on vacation and we had signed up for. Um, a, um, travel or yeah, it was a travel thing, but excursion. we did it through a street vendor mm. who promised us gifts. It, we were in Hawaii, Free. and yes. we signed up for something, and we did get the gifts and things, but it, along with that, within two months, and I mean, our social security numbers were everywhere, and they mm-hmm. had our de- identities photocopied because... You, you submitted it. Yeah, you submitted it. Everything, <laughs> and so they had your signature, everything. Oh, so... That's something okay. in the state of Texas you can do. So if you ever have it, if you haven't been frauded, you probably will be because yeah. it's, it's the hugest thing. Right. Yeah. And it's governments are doing it. I mean, countries are involved in it. Right. So back to back to the back. Of, oh, before we, one last thing about security remember um when you guys are logging into a website there's a checkbox a lot of you guys get an option of remember this yeah. password Never. if you click that it's real so let's talk about security for a minute all security is annoying 
Um, because we have locks on our cars. How many of you locked your keys in your car before? It, was it annoying? Yes. All security is annoying. And it's meant to be helpful, but whatever layer of security you add that makes it be more secure, it's more annoying to you. So it is more annoying to type in your password every time. However, if somebody were to sit in front of your computer and get logged in your, your computer, they would actually be able to steal that password very easily. We did this all the time when we were doing computer forensics discovery stuff. And once they have that password, very oftentimes people, like because security is annoying, they use the same password a bunch of different places. Amen, amen, amen. So, That's not good. Well, so, so because security is annoying, if you have a really same password everywhere and you use it at this low security site, like maybe the library, that you even wrote down, here's my password to the library, you might have also used it for your checking account, which is bad. So what I do is I have what's called a junk password. And this is for sites I don't care if people hack into, but I need to have it. And then I have complicated memorized passwords for my bank and finances and Facebook and things I don't want hacked. No, no, different ones. They're variations on the theme, but they're different. So if somebody got my Facebook password, they wouldn't have access to all my accounts. And that is a really good thing, but it doesn't help if you have a bunch of complicated passwords if then you write them on post-it notes on your computer monitor. So you have to find a happy, you have to find a happy medium that works for you um, of how to have passwords that work, but not you know, click remember all the time. And, you know, if you have 15 locks on your car, it'll be really secure, but you'll hate it. So you got to find what's secure enough for you. Yeah, you got to find what's secure enough for you that you you're feel like you did what you could do. You write down your passwords anywhere so you can look it up. Let me offer a suggestion. Mm -hmm. For example, one of my passwords, I have a password that I got. It was a really bizarre password that I got 30 years ago when StarText was the cool thing to do, right? LTRDNC. That's my password. But it's my trash password. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about LTRDNC is I take in each site that I go to, I make a single change to the single password. And in numeric, some passwords that they make me change my password every time, I'll, I'll rotate it at 0 through 10. Yep. Or what I, what I like to do is I'll take LTRDNC and then I'll add to it the initials of the website that I'm using. Mm-hmm. So I know, I know, yeah. in his world it's called an algorithm. i got an algorithm built in my brain that I know that if I sit down and I look at a website that I haven't been into for two years, I can, within three guesses I can probably figure out the password. That's right. So use something, and one of the things, never use a word in your password that you can find in a dictionary. Yeah, no English words. Yeah, no, well, English is, yeah, don't yeah. use any English words. Like one of my pass, one of my junk passwords is the first initial. Well, a perfect example. My mine and my wife's email address. Our email address is Lambjam. L A M B J A M M. Okay, that's created of all the first initials of all of my kids. Oh. Laurie Ann, Michael, Bethany, Janice, Abigail, Matthew. Two Malcolms. And he keeps them straight all the time. <laughs> yeah, but I keep them straight. But anyway, come up with something that makes sense to you. Right. And then use that for your passwords. And, and Jonathan's advice is really good. Don't use the same password across multiple sites. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody gets into your Facebook, which does happen, by the way, mm -hmm. 
Yannick, you didn't, they can take a guess. And there's only five or six large banking conglomerates in, in the U.S. You know, in a matter of three minutes, I can test that password on all five of them. Mm -hmm. So... And if you yes. put numerics, can yeah. I ask one more question? You may, Hal. Mm -hmm. The password, you, uh, we should not uh, your our language, right? Mm -hmm. We should your uh, English, we should not your... Well, uh, for you, yeah. being Vietnamese, yeah. using a Vietnamese, yeah. great password. In America. In America, that would be a great password. Oh, okay. Okay, because... First of all, I'm not going to see a dictionary that's got Vietnamese. I'm mm -hmm. not going to understand it. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you see the bad guys do, they write tools. Mm -hmm. It's not one guy sitting there you know, drinking Coke and pizza at 2 o'clock in the morning like it used to be. Now it's guys who write tools, and they take this tool and they say, go hit these t 2 million email addresses. Yep. And they just go through. And so if you got something that's really unique, like your first name and your middle name put together in Vietnamese, None of these tools are going to come anywhere near yet. So that'll be good. That'd be really good. Mm -hmm. And if you add numerics to it, it helps too, right? The more, mm -hmm. the more complexity, numeric, special characters, yep. the more complexity. But going back to what Jonathan said, and this is really important, security is on the opposite end of ease of use. Mm -hmm. And the more security you put on, the less easy to use it is. Yeah. So it's this balancing act. You've got to find out. Where is enough security that I can mitigate the risk? Yeah. I'm, I'm using enterprise terms. Where is enough security that I can make myself safe enough without being such a pain in the backside that I have to carry a post-it note in my <laughs> Exactly. Which oh, which are all for? Forget all the passwords. I know. Your name again was? This is Barry. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, uh, when I apply for a job yes. in the company, like an Acon, mm -hmm. and they ask me how to book my social security number yes. on the application, mm -hmm. and if I did not do it, they, they did not uh, upset it, what I had to do. Well, here it is, right here. Yeah, that's it. This is... Oh, he's got it. I say, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. No, perfect example. Let's say you go on a website and you're applying for a job at Alcon. Yes. And you've gone to this website. Yes. And they want you to put in your social security number. This little guy right there. Oh. That little guy right there says this is secure. It uses a thing called SSL 443. It's a bunch of computer junk. But that right there says it's okay. It's okay. Well, well, it's okay between, it means it's getting to them okay. Correct. Now, if then they're building, they have a person who is not reputable, then right. they can still do something with it. But it means the, the connection between you two is safe. The internet is not your problem. Right. 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 And the reason why they're asking for that is they want to run a background check. That's why they want your social security. Medical sites. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. A lot of our information isn't even in America anymore. Right. Right. Well, uh, uh, Jonathan, you, mm -hmm. there's no way you can protect against uh, criminal mm -hmm. employees. That's right. And that happens. And that's just, I mean, that's kind of where it gets in the point where I'm, I, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. But that'll happen at the gas station. That'll happen at the waiter. So I just don't live that terribly yeah. worried. Yeah. Um, but back to backups, because this will happen. And this has happened to my family and everyone. So um, make sure you have a method that works for you, whether it's you're burning your folder, you're dragging it to a CD and burning it, or to a DVD and burning it, or you've got an external hard drive, but have a method 
put little reminders in your calendar to do it periodically. And then every once in a while, this is the other problem. My dad, he one time, he did this. He set up his backup. He was a dentist. He is a dentist. He backed up all his patient files, did all this. And then he never went and checked that his back was actually doing anything. Mm -hmm. So at some point, you have to go and grab a file back from the backup and open it and say, did this actually make it? Because he thought he was backing up because it said, yes, I backed up. And then he ended up losing like three weeks of patient records. Not at my dad's office. No, but, oh. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> but I'm thinking that's what yes. I thought I was backing up for yes. years and then I went to get something. That's it. There. That's it. You have to go check it. It's just like, you know, any other thing. You you think it's working, but you gotta go check it up here. This Dropbox so, thing that you're talking yes. about. Is, is that online? So Dropbox is free for up to two gigabytes, which is a certain volume of information. And it is wonderful. This is how um so here's another problem that happens about every month at the church office is somebody says, I wanna send a really big file to somebody else via email. So someone will have like a big movie. And movies that take up a lot of information, you know, like a Word document, it's real tiny, and then a picture's listed, and a movie like, oh, it's living. I mean, it's just a lot of information. And they'll say, I want to send this something, this is cool. And so they'll say, new message to Manny, and they'll hit send, and it will ruin their whole email, because it will try the rest of the day to send that one big message, and it will fail over and over again, and nothing else will get sent. So email is not meant, email is not meant for really big attachments, really big files. So we have to have a way for us to send big files to each other because all you know, pictures and movies and all that stuff, take that. Dropbox is wonderful for this. Go to dropbox.com and it's a free download. You have to create a, an account. And what it'll do is it'll create this little icon on the top of your screen. This is my little Dropbox icon up here. And what it does, I have a, I have a paid account where it gives me up to 50 gigabytes. And this is how all the church staff share videos with each other. And MP3 files. MP3 files are good examples of this. Yes. This is how I can send big files. Like, for example, um, Cal Robinson was helping this last week with a video. He sent me a really big file via Dropbox. And I didn't have to come to the church and meet him anywhere. It just, he uploaded it and it downloaded it to me. It's not public. It's all on Dropbox servers. And, but it's between the two of us. It was great. Um, so if you were, for example, to take your folder of important information, drag it into Dropbox, then it's on two places because it's on your computer and it's on Dropbox. Now we're back to the whole security thing again. Well, now Dropbox has it. Well, I could, if I wanted to, zip it in a password and compress it and put another lock on it, but that means I have to put extra locks, it's annoying, because security is annoying. So you have to decide, I kind of trust Dropbox for, for most stuff. I don't mind dropping things in there. I'm not dropping my password to my checking account, but I'm dropping a lot of stuff on there. I don't mind that. So you kind of figure out where your threshold is of safety. And you can do different things, but you can, like any spreadsheet, you can password protect. And then every time you open it, you have to type in a password. Um, but that's annoying. And so you got to figure out where your threshold is. But Dropbox is a great way to back up for small amounts of data. Yeah? I get these windows that pop up all the time examining your computer or checking your computer. Oh, yes. Whole new story. How do you yes. get rid of those things? They we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second. I, I got some cool URLs. Do you have uh, Microsoft Security Essentials or Emergency Rescue Tool? I have started to recommend Essentials to a bunch of people. Okay, well, you got that. And then there's also another cool utility. 
when you're ready for it, let me tell you about it. Okay. So we're going to jump back on this here. Well, now, and actually, while he's looking, let me make one comment that's mm -hmm. about Dropbox. Being a computer nerd, I carry usually two of these in my pocket all the mm -hmm. time. I got all kinds of stuff on this. There's risk there. I've got two. One is Gary's, one's Cal's. Yeah. Well, my problem was I had a big, I ran out of space on this one, so I bought another one. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I'm missing one right now because or? I gave it to my wife to put into her Mac at school. Mm -hmm. But the, the cool thing about this is I've got stuff with me when I need it. I'm a nerd, that's mm -hmm. what I do. But the cool thing about Dropbox or Microsoft has one called Live.com. The cool thing is that two gig that you've got there. Mm -hmm. I can put my resume, for example. Yes. I'm looking for a job right now. Rather than putting my resume on here, so I've got it all the time. I can, and my resume has a lot of personal information. Mm -hmm. What I can do is I can put my resume on Dropbox, or in my case, a thing called SkyDrive. Mm -hmm. I can put it out there, and it, any computer, just kind of like your email, you can walk up to your sister-in-law's email your computer and get to your email. You can do the same thing with Dropbox. You can put whatever you want on there, and it's available to you from any place that you can get to a computer. So really cool for avoiding. Matter of fact, the best example from a security perspective that I remember about three years ago, uh, an engineer from Lockheed Martin over in West Fort Worth had plans to the F-35 strike fighters. <laughs> and he was pulling his keys out of his pocket at a gas station, and it fell on the ground and oh. he was getting gas. Yep. The next guy to come in picked it up, oh, cool and uh, stuck it in his computer and up come AutoCAD drawings. Yeah. I found a thumb drive outside the house of prayer the other day. I was like, oh, there's, a, there's a thumb drive, you know? And then what happened? Well, it, obviously the government did not a whole lot more come out about that. Mm -hmm. But I have lost thumb drives before, mm -hmm. two of them at a time. And it's I, when I lost mine, I actually had my tax return on it. Mm -hmm. Now you want to talk about it. A lot of information. It was my hard copy because I'd done it at work and I wanted a copy of it to bring home. Yeah. So Dropbox is really cool for being able to get to stuff. But they are handy. We we call they're they're affectionately called sneaker net. If you've never never heard that term, they're Yeah, you, you walk them with your sneakers down to the next desk and here you go. Can you print this for me? Um, yeah, the other thing about these guys is they're also a great source of viruses. Mm -hmm. If you use one in somebody's computer at work, and somebody's got a virus on their computer, the virus jumps onto this, and when you Travels. plug it into your computer at home, guess what? So, don't use yeah. so in, it with an in general, all the cloud people are pretty good about that. So like, you, you send an email through Yahoo or Gmail or something, they kind of screen for that. Dropbox kind of screens for that. So in general, they're going to kind of scream for that, whereas a thumb drive won't. So what I'm going to do is I want to jump on to a little bit of talking about what is the internet. We're going to spend another maybe 10 minutes or so on that, and then we're going to take a stretch break because we've kind of melted our brains a little bit, and then we'll come back, refill the coffee, and, and, then, and then we'll come back and, and do the home stretch here. But I want to let you guys watch this little movie about what is the internet. First, a quick message from Common This video comes in versions designed for use in training and education. Find them at commoncraft.com. Yay! Have you ever wondered, when you visit a website, where those words and images come from? This is the World Wide Web in plain English. These days, as long as we have an internet connection, using the web is pretty easy. We can visit billions of pages on things from pet alligators to the weather in Holland. 
To help figure out how it works, let's pretend we can get really small, follow the wires, and explore what makes the web work. In order to get to the web, we need a connection from our home or business to the rest of the online world. This usually happens through the phone or cable lines, or even satellite. This connection means that information from around the world can reach our computers. If we could see the connection, the information coming through it would look like little packets of code. It doesn't make sense to most people. We need a translator, something that turns the packets of code into words and images we see on a website. For this, we use a web browser. It translates the information and makes it useful to us. But that code has to come from somewhere, right? If we could follow it to its home, we'd see that it's coming from another computer. Not a regular computer, but one that's built to make web pages available. It's called a server. The words and images that appear on our screen live here in the server. If there was only one server, this would be simple. But there are millions of servers and web pages. We need a way to find a specific page on a specific server. We do this with web addresses. Each server and website has a unique one. As long as we have the right web address, we can visit a page on any server on the web. The reason we call it a web is that all the servers are connected. We can easily jump from one to the other using addresses via our web browser. And we don't have to remember all the addresses. Web pages use shortcuts or links, words and images we can click that direct us to page after page. These links create a web of connections that are easy to navigate. Together, this system makes up the World Wide Web. So, let's sum it up. To visit a website, we type in a web address or click a link. The information for the website lives on a server. It comes to us as little packets of code, and our web browser translates this code into words, photos, music, videos, and links that help us get things done. Yay! <laughs> I'm Lila Fever of Common Craft, and this has been the World Wide Web in plain English. Do you need this for work? Find presentation quality, unbranded versions of all Common Craft videos. So, so, so that is um, that is just a real basic, and you can find any of this stuff on YouTube. We'll we'll cover that this afternoon more, but. Um, you can YouTube World Wide Web in plain English and find that. Um, so that is all the internet is. is. It's a bunch of servers that are all sitting out there holding files and you go ask them for those pages, send it across the internet to your machine. So the way you get there is by a browser. So when I say the word browser, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Not really. Not really, alright. I'm going to give you examples of browsers. You've heard of them before. Um, Internet Explorer is a really popular browser. Um, Firefox is another popular one. Google has one called Chrome. Apple has one called Safari. Um, and then there's a bunch of more esoteric ones like Opera and so on and so on. Um, a browser is, think of it back to the Word example. Like when, you, when I said, who wants to write a letter? Everyone said, oh, we use Word to write a letter. What? But there's other programs that can write letters. Windows comes with one called WordPad. You can write a letter in WordPad. Works fine. It comes with a, a, a program called Notepad. If you wanted to, you could write a letter in Notepad. Um, and there's all sorts of open office is another example of a com free competitor to Microsoft Office that you can write a letter in. 
So that's kind of how the browser thing worked, is Microsoft had the first really popular browser with Internet Explorer, and then since then everyone's been trying to catch up with that. Um, and then the history of that, I won't go into history of that with Netscape and everything. But what's important for you is that you need to pick a browser and um, my recommendation would be to stay away from Internet Explorer. You know, I don't know if that's true with Malcolm or not. I, I would say go with something like Google Chrome or Firefox is my recommendation. Just because Firefox is great, you know. Every, security reasons primarily. I would just say just not to annoy you. Uh, this is a pure annoyance thing. I have more people around the office come to me and say, I can't get this website to work right, or I have all these toolbars, or I have all these pop-ups. Mm -hmm. And my first thing I, I say to everyone is, if you have lots of pop-ups, lots of toolbars, go download Firefox or Chrome and see if that fixes your problem. If it doesn't, come back. And 99% of the time, they don't come back. So, all that is to say... Um, and I've got links in here in a couple pages for, for those kind of things. Um, let's see here. Oh, I thought I did. But anyways, if I don't, let's see if I have it later. Da, 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 da. Oh, I've got it maybe this afternoon. Oh, there it is. Browser. So I have a browser slide with the two addresses of Chrome or Firefox. So you can go put those in any, any Internet browser, like Internet Explorer comes pre-installed with Windows, so you can use that. And I would download those and use those. Um, and, you know, like anything else, uh, you know, if it's a program you've never used before, help videos really are really great. Um, my dad bought, you know, picking on my dad today, he bought this really nice Bible software. And it does some cool stuff. But he hasn't taken the time yet to go through the help videos, so he doesn't really know how to use it. And that's kind of true of a lot of things with the computer. If you'll invest a little time up front to go look at the help videos, sit, sit, take an hour and sit through some tutorials, and then as they show you how to do something, go do it yourself, you'll be amazed at what you can learn. Um, it's really worth your time. And uh, if they don't have them on the support site of the company that you're using, for example, um, Logos is the Bible software I've got. They've got wonderful tutorial videos. But you can go to YouTube and say, how do I use Google Chrome? And there'll be great videos for that. You know, and so anything like that is, is worth your time. All right. So let's talk real fast to make sure we understand the internet. So if you have a computer that is not connected to the internet, what does that mean? You don't have access to all the servers. You don't have access to all servers, so you can still do what? Play with it, I guess. You can do Word, Excel. You can do Word, Excel. You can print. Do pictures. Yeah. But you really can't share it. Can't share it. Unless you put it on a thumb drive mm -hmm. and walk it somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's right. So you can still do a lot. So, for example, if you have kids in the home and you want them to be able to do homework and print off homework assignments, they can do that without internet. internet. Yeah. You don't have to have the internet for everything. But if they try to open up an email and send that to their teacher, that won't work because they don't have the internet. So the internet allows you to share things and bring in things from the outside world. Um, so what internet providers are you guys currently using? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm with a cable TV provider right now. Time Warner. Time Warner. I'm using AT&T. AT&T. Uverse. I will switch to that. That just became available at some point. Do you know what you use, Hal? AT&T? I don't get a cable. What? 
I don't have a cable TV. You don't have cable TV. Do you have internet at your house? Yes. What what company gives you internet? Uh, AT and T. Okay. So AT and T is the most common one in this area. Um, so that is what that company, when they send you that bill, that's what that bill gets you. Is it gets you access to this web of information. And the biggest guy out there is Google. Um, have you guys ever tried Googling yourself? Mm -hmm. No, I'm afraid to. Let's, let's go I want to Google Manny Leon this morning. No, don't do that. Let's see what happens here. So we're gonna we're gonna see Manny Leon. This is just kind of fun. Every once in a while, just to Google yourself. Manny Leon has a LinkedIn profile. He might have Facebook. If this is the same Manny Leon, we don't know until we click on it. No. There, common name. There are 10,300,000 results for Manny Leon. Wow. So, you know, my name is a very unique name. So there's very few. If you just type in, um, yeah, if you type in Chevron, uh, just by itself, actually, you mostly get my uncle. He is a uh, entomologist out of, um, and then there's some German profiles and things. But this is my uncle in Florida as the third link, and he, he's an expert on termites. And so you kind of you <laughs> figure out what the, you know, what your unique things. But it's kind of fun to Google yourself every once in a while. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more this afternoon about Google Alerts and how they're helpful. I'm telling you, he, he's, he's amazing at what he has accomplished. Yeah. Well, what, what can I say? He doesn't teach. He just does research. Okay. Last question before our break. If you ever have a problem with technology, like I can't get blank to work. Like, for example, I have an iPhone. I can't get my iPhone to turn on. So... What should I do? I'm going to go ask the great Bing. Um, it works the same way. But with Explorer. With Explorer. So I'm going to go to Google just because it's my habit. And so I'm going to type in my iPhone won't turn on. And the first link is my iPhone will not turn on, Apple support. So I'm going to click on that. And all of a sudden, these are users. These are people like you and me that have said, well, why don't you try this? Try resetting it. And they give you instructions on how to reset it. Or this guy down here says, well, you need to do this. And I tell you what, it is amazing how fast you can, I do this with everything. Yesterday, my water dispenser froze over and I didn't know how to fix it. So what did I do? I asked the great Google and said, you know, how do I fix a frozen water dispenser? So if you have a problem with technology and you have the time to read a little bit, it's worth asking Google how to fix that. Another one my dad asked me the other day. He can't find his start button. It disappeared. Where is my start button? So you can take that problem and you can ask Google, where is my start button? And if you ask Google, all of a sudden you got this first link. My taskbar is missing and I have no start button. That sounds exactly what my dad's problem is. And so you're able to read them and they tell you, well, this is how you can fix the broken start button and why it happened and you get to learn through the process. So if you ever have a problem with technology, uh, you have a problem with uh, any kind of that type of thing, uh, always try Googling it. That's what everyone does. IT does it. Everyone does it these days. And Microsoft has a competitor called Bing that does great stuff too. Great pictures. Great pictures. Um, so you would recommend Bing after Google? After Google. Just, Google are in competition. They're in competition. They're, they're, just try it. one will do exactly Yeah. See which one you like. Okay. They're, they're both exactly the same. How about uh, I open you the yahoo.com? Yeah. Okay? If it gets you the answer you need. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I do. There's, there's always, it's kind of like, how do you get to church? Well, I take 360. I take I-20. There's various ways to get there. As long as you get there. I'm just telling you, I tend to use Google. So, Google yeah. was the first and they're, they're the one. 
They're the market leader. They're the big guy in the block. Well, there are nuances where Google is better. So we're gonna we're gonna take a break, and then we're gonna come back, and we're gonna march through some other other technology things, and mostly after the break, we're gonna get into what does Grace do with technology, and how do you guys get access to it.